Right, welcome along to another episode of the How I Caught the Wrestling Bug podcast. I'm your host, David Lovell, joined by... Well, it's been a sort of thing recently where we've had like a Canadian invasion because we've had all kinds of uh, Canadian guests on lately. And I think this is the very first guest, though, we've had from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Ryan Pike, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Uh, really glad to have you on. So, um, you describe yourself as, is it sort of university admin by day, reporter by night? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I during the days, I uh, work for the local university. And uh, when I'm not doing that, I, uh, I actually moonlight covering the, the Calgary Flames of the NHL for a couple websites. And uh, have you ever done sort of any podcasts before? I know you were saying before we started recording that you've done your your friend's wrestling podcast before. Yeah, I, I do occasional uh, hockey podcasts, but uh, typically the podcasts I do are mostly uh, hockey-related. Right, of course, we're here today to talk about how you became a fan of wrestling in the first place. And obviously the podcast is called How I Caught the Bug because I mean, we all we all called it at one point or another. Uh, so what was the sort of starting point for you? When when did you first sort of discover wrestling? What was your sort of first exposure to, to wrestling? Well, I mean, you know, like born in Calgary, you know, grew up in Calgary. So, you know, uh, in the in the city, the, the Hart family's always been pretty ubiquitous. You know, the, the you know, when you when you drive down, uh, you know, the, the streets in Calgary, you know, there, there's uh, one major street that sort of drives, uh, it's sort of a, a north-south thoroughfare. And when you're going down that, that street, you end up just driving past the Hart House. Uh, so, you know, it, from, uh, from a pretty young age, everyone in town is pretty, pretty much aware of them. So it's, it's hard not to, uh, to be aware of, uh, of the Hearts in this town. But, uh, yeah, I, I started, uh, you know, I think I started watching wrestling. You know, it was always syndicated uh, on Saturday mornings with superstars wrestling and the stuff like that in the uh, in the early 90s. So, you know, Saturday mornings, you wake up, you watch your cartoons, and after cartoons are over, you watch uh, an hour of wrestling on TV. And, you know, just, you know, between that and just Bret Hart being all over town, I think, you know, I, I was lucky enough to be, you know, at the, the right age of like five, you know, six or seven years old when Bret Hart was uh, – you know, just starting to ascend in, in the WWF at the time. And, you know, when the guy from your hometown becomes world champion, it's pretty easy to become a fan pretty quickly. Well, the next question is, you know, which guys really sort of captured your imagination as a kid? So, so Brett, you know, obviously being from Calgary, I, I'm taking it Brett was probably number one for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, Brett was, I think, the one of the, the easier guys to become a fan of, you know, uh, you know, and the guys that Brett tended to feud with, like you know, Brett, Mister Perfect, uh, you know, Owen Hart was uh, was a big one. Uh, I, I actually uh, I grew up, or you know, his Brett or Owen Hart's house was uh, sort of uh, on the same street as mine uh, growing up. So uh, didn't see him very often because he was never home. But it was kind of cool, you know, growing up having a you know a high high level pro wrestler living around. Like I think in, uh, in my neighborhood there was uh, some some NHL players too. But you know everyone sort of knew you know who the NHL players were in town and who the uh, who the wrestlers were in town. So it was pretty easy to keep track of that. Uh, but yeah, th- I think those are probably the, the the two or three biggest ones when I was a kid growing up following. So were you uh, you weren't really a Hogan guy? I guess you really sort of became a fan right towards the tail end of Hogan's run, I guess. 
Yeah, I was I was too I was too young for for Hogan, thankfully, because I, <laughs> I I don't know I I think I would have I'm not sure if I would have become as big a fan if you know Hogan was uh, was the guy on top because you know it's I don't know just the style that he had was just you know a little bit slower than than a lot of folks tended to like you know you, you know it didn't really have the same kind of you know, physicality that a lot of folks like. I mean, you know, I, I think, you know, growing up here, it's, you know, the two things that were really big were hockey and pro wrestling. And the things that appealed to folks about hockey were sort of like, you know, the speed and the finesse and sort of, you know, how, you know, how quick things could happen in, in an instant, you know, the technicality of it. And, you know, all due respect to Hulk Hogan, speed and finesse and technicality are not his strong suits. So I'm not sure if it would have clicked as well uh, for me as it did if uh, I'd been like maybe three or four years older. Do you remember how you felt at WrestleMania nine? You know, when, when Brett lost the title to Yokozuna and then Hogan comes in at the end and, and wins it. Do you remember how you felt about that at the time? I remember so many of us who were at school were gutted because, you know, not a lot of folks back then, like wrestling wasn't really as popular as, as it got during the attitude era. So, you know, it was, you know, let's be honest, if a six year old asked you to buy a pay-per-view, you're going to say no, because how are they, you know, they can't pay you back. They're six. If, uh, if a 12 year old asked you to buy a pay-per-view, all well, they can do chores, they can get a paper route. So it's pretty, a little bit easier to do it. So I, a lot of, a lot of the kids of my age, you know, we, you know, we didn't get pay-per-views or maybe one or two kids, like the, the, the kids who had like the cool parents or the rich parents, they'd be cool with you know, shelling out the bucks for WrestleMania. So I think in our grade, we had maybe one kid in our, any of our classes who got the pay-per-views, especially for WrestleMania. So, you know, coming, you know, again, coming to school on Monday and everyone's like, what happened? What happened? What happened? Because, you know, Unless you had a friend who watched it, you had to wait for the weekend syndication show to find out what the hell happened the next week. So we ended up, uh, you know, finding out pretty pretty quickly that Brett had lost, and everyone, everyone was pretty mad. And then got madder when they found out the Hogan was the champion. <laughs> so, you know, I think folks were were pretty grumpy until uh, until Hogan lost it uh, later in the year, and then uh, and then eventually when Brett got it back the following year. But <laughs> it was, you know, I think we were we were all uh, very tribalistic and very moody back then. That was not a fun year to be. Uh, to be a fan and you probably got even more moodier when they tried to sort of force lex luger down everyone's throats and they were doing the whole lex express thing you must have been thinking you know brett's the guy why are you not going with brett yeah and you know it's i, I think you know there's some folks who, were, who became sean fans too because at that point like sean was just such uh, an entertaining character that you know, there was a few guys who, you know, a few folks became fans of Shawn Michaels in our grade. But you know, like the the, the folks in our grade, everyone loved the Undertaker, and it's hard not to because he was so fun to watch. But back then, he could do all kinds of crazy stuff that you would expect a big guy to do. But yeah, it was basically, you know, oh man, I can't believe I can't believe they're trying to make a second Hulk Hogan. That's so stupid. This is the dumbest thing. I'm gonna stop watching. And then, well, okay, well maybe we'll wait to see what happens at WrestleMania. And then, okay, never mind. Rest the champion. Who cares? Do you remember the uh, the first live event you, you attended, the first live show? I was trying. I found the card. It was uh, one of the more weird times in WWF history. Uh, but I think the first live show I went to was uh, uh, the week before my seventh birthday in 1992. Uh, the main. It was a, a live event. I don't think it was taped for TV, but the main event. It was during that really bad Ultimate Warrior Kamala uh, angle. Oh. So right. uh, the main event of the show was the Ultimate Warrior versus Kamala uh, 
Brett was, I think Brett wrestled a dark match, but yeah, it was during a, a very strange time because, uh, as you know, I think according to the, according to the website I'm looking at now, Brett, Brett was, uh, he was in Providence, Rhode Island at the time. So they ran a show in Brett's hometown, uh, you know, while he was sort of a, a, a high-end contender. This would have been about a month before he won the world title uh, in Saskatoon. Uh, and they had him on a, you know, wrestling Papa Shango in Providence, Rhode Island, where the main event in his hometown in the home, home building was uh, Ultimate Warrior versus Kamala. And, uh, yeah, that was... It wasn't a great show. It was, I don't know, it was fine, and I think that that eventually bled through to eventually that became the 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 infamous Ultimate Warrior versus Papa Shango angle. I think the next year, which was even dumber, but thankfully by that point Bret Hart was uh, was moved up the card, so we didn't have much to do. But yeah, it was it was it was, it was I, I I vaguely remember it was kind of a fun show. Uh, Davy Boy Smith was on the show uh, rather than Bret, so I think that was sort of their way of. Uh, of throwing the locals a bone, uh, Tataka was on the show, so it was. Yeah, I, I remember, you know, really liking, you know, the the you know, the the, the brashness of the characters. I mean, David Boy Smith, you know, was a really easy character to like because he was so you know big and, and braggadocious, and uh, Tataka was fun. And you know, I, I don't think you know anyone who, who saw Ted DiBiase wrestle in his prime. I don't think anyone who saw Ted DiBiase wrestle didn't become a fan of Ted's. So, yeah, that was that was the show. It was September tenth, nineteen ninety two, was the the first live event I can recall going to. I can't imagine I would have you know conned my parents into taking me to a show earlier than that. Well, that would have been right after as well. Uh, Davy Boy beat Brett for the icy belt at SummerSlam, so he would have been the icy. I think we're... Yeah. What, like a month, a month after. Like a month after that, yeah. But uh, so, what was the first show you would have seen Brett live on? Do you remember that? Probably, the next, probably the next year because I know, I know, in ninety after he won the the belt, uh, you know, he did a lot of a lot of live events in I think the the following year. Because I've seen, I must have seen Brett wrestle like ten or twelve times before he went to to WCW, and then they the WCW never really ran oh, Canada for. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the weirder things. Uh, Paul Fontana and I were joking about that uh, a little while ago. Just the idea that you know WWF, you know, between you know, all the territories in Canada outside of you know maybe little pockets, were firm WWF territory because of how Vince built the business. Uh, and, you know, even, you know, Stampede, when they started running again, they basically ran WWF shows and Stampede shows in the market. Uh, you know, Winnipeg was a WWF market and a little bit of AWA, too, because of ge- geography. You know, the pretty much all of Ontario was firm WWF. Quebec was sort of a mixture of ones, but WWF had a good foothold there because of their locals. But, yeah, when w, you know, when Brett uh, went to WCW... You know, they, you know, they were still running WWF shows here, but we never saw WCW. So it's kind of weird that for the last few years of Brett's uh, career, he never really came out here. Wasn't there that one show where, was the Goldberg, the the steel plate thing with with Goldberg, wasn't that in Canada, I want to say? I think that was Toronto. That was, was, because that was the, that was the the lead up to, I think, the Mayhem pay-per-view, because I remember they did that tournament. Oh, yeah, that awful, I mean, that match with Bret Hart and Chris Benoit, how can you turn a Bret Hart-Chris Benoit match into something really terrible? Let's have about 20 run-ins at the end of it. (laughs) That was, that was, yeah, yeah. just looking at it, the, that show would have been March 29th, 1999. Right, and if I check cagematch.net, Cage Match, where the hell was that show? Uh, WCW, 
Yeah, I remember. I remember that was like Brett. Brett's staff always did, you know, WCW stuff. You know, there wasn't really a lot of you know knowledge about WCW uh, in in Western Canada. So when when uh, he ended up going to WCW in the market, it's basically like, oh great, he's fallen off the face of the earth because WCW, you know, like in the market in Canada, TSN was the uh, the main sports network. Sportsnet, uh, right now in Canada, there's two big sports networks. There's TSN and there's Sportsnet. Uh, and TSN, at the time, was the only game in town, and they had the, the rights both for, uh, you know, for WWF and WCW. So what ended up happening was, you know, Monday Night Raw ran pretty much live, you know, slight tape delay to, to, to you know, censor whatever they needed to censor. Uh, you know, so it aired quasi-live on Monday nights. And if you want to watch WCW, you had to wait for Tuesday night, and they got a much worse time slot. So it was as if basically WCW was sort of a secondary show. Oh, that that show, yeah, I was that, I was right. That show was in Toronto. The only the only U.S. market or the only Canadian market that WCW ever ran really was Toronto. I think they might have run one show in Vancouver, but they did a yeah, pay per view. You know, did they not do a pay per view where? In, this was like in, in late two thousand, maybe like August or September of two thousand. Um, I want to say it was called New Blood Rising, and it was a show where Lance Storm uh, won. I can't remember what, what he won now, but Brett came out at the end and sort of raised his hand in the air. Wasn't that a Canadian show as well? I think so. That was in Vancouver. That was in Vancouver. Okay, so that might be the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, but um, so from the point you started watching wrestling, so around what would you say, sort of ninety one, ninety two, around that sort of time frame. Yeah, I'd say that. Through until now, so thirty, sort of thirty years on, did you ever lose interest at any point and and completely stop watching altogether? I don't. Think, I wouldn't say completely stop watching, but like after after the invasion. By like 2001, 2002, when they basically botched the invasion and brought back, you know, 100-year-old Hulk Hogan, uh, a lot of us sort of, you know, in our crowd just started not really paying attention as much. And then, you know, you sort of, you sort of, you know, you know, if you sort of keep a track of, you know, when's wrestling on, you, you know, if it's on TV in your home, you sort of check it out once in a while, see if it's how it is. But, you know, a lot of the stuff is sort of very low rent and embarrassing, to be honest. So you didn't really watch that much. And it wasn't really until about uh, 2010 or 2011, like right when CM Punk got in. Because, you know, I think, uh, you know, Damian Gonzalez and I are buddies. And he and I bonded over our love of sort of 2004-05 to like 2010-12 Ring of Honor. And because, you know, it sort of had the same style that we both like. So as my, you know, my interest in WWF sort of waned, I got kind of into Ring of Honor at that time. And then when Ring of Honor guys started gradually moving back to WWF, I or WWE rather, at that point, I started actually having a bit more interest in their product. So, you know, I really got back into WWF, you know, when, uh, when CM Punk and Brian Danielson started arriving there. And then, you know, gradually, gradually that waned too a bit, you know, it's sort of, you know, you know how things go. They sort of ebb and flow depending on your interest in the style they're giving you. And so what are your sort of viewing habits now? I mean, you, I, I take it you watch probably AEW every week? Oh, yeah. yeah. AEW at this point is basically appointment TV. You know, if I don't watch it live, I watch it uh, on demand on the TSN app. Uh, and, you know, sometimes New Japan, I, you know, I'm one of those people, you know, 
I stopped. I got. I'm less into New Japan than I used to be, mostly because you know the pandemic shows. Like, I'll give AEW credit. They found a. They found a way to make their pandemic shows feel, you know, less insulated and more alive. And so, you know, they didn't really have a lot of things that were particularly interesting. So, you know, at this point, until until international travel opens up and they can start getting, you know, some more uh, outside talent in. You know, there's only so many times you can watch Tai Chi wrestle in a main event before you just start uh, start, you know, getting a little bit sleepy. No, no offense to Tai Chi. I mean, he's de- he, he's probably he's probably punching above his weight at this point, but uh, doesn't mean I have to watch him all the time. Yeah, I think the G1 definitely hasn't got the the buzz around it. It normally has. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting too they've got uh, Suzuki Suzuki's over here right now and not in Japan right when the G1's going on I know and you know the the idea that you know they they pulled some guys you know I think you know the, I think the problem is like we, we've seen it like Yuji Nagata can still go he doesn't do G1s anymore because they did they made a big ballyhoo about oh he's never going to do it again and Kojima was sort of similar Kojima you know he can still go as we saw he's not really doing G1s again Jay White's over here Osprey's over here uh, you know they have Suzuki over here so they you know and then all of a sudden they lose Naito with that knee injury so you know I I was looking at the G1 like you know traditionally if it's a good G1 you look at the calendar and go Ah oh, damn it! When the hell am I gonna sleep, or when the hell am I gonna see my my uh, my girlfriend, or when the hell am I going to, you know, fit in all these friggin' matches? Because you know, typically, like, there's been a few G ones last three or four years where every night has like three or four good matches. So you gotta carve out two hours per day to catch up on on the good stuff that's going on. But it's exciting and it's good, and you really want to do it. This year, even before Naito got hurt, you know, there's you know there's a bunch of guys who just, you know, I I can handle one, uh, one Toroyano because no one's better at being Toroyano than Toroyano is, but you know, the whole sales pitch of the G1 is, do you want to see the best wrestlers in the world do great matches for a month? And if you have, you know, Yujiro Takahashi and Toroyano and you know, uh, you know, too many of the of the bullet club guys with their run-ins and their interference and you know, their their continuing ins- insistence on pushing Evil as a top guy, uh, the quality in ring is nowhere near where it was in the past, and that's before Naito gets hurt. So. I was I uh, I had unsubscribed on on the New Japan app and I'm like okay I'm gonna wait to see what how they what happens with the G1 maybe they'll surprise me and then I saw the G1 lineup and I'll go I mean crap well that's not great <laughs> and then okay well you know maybe maybe I'll pick it up later on but you know the the pandemic can't last forever international travel is gonna open up again and you know i think gradually i think i think next year like 2022 looks like it'll be a fun year for new japan if if they uh can do some crossover stuff with with aw but you know right now you know outside of a few guys you know the the, the folks that people want to see wrestle or you know the the people i'm most interested in seeing wrestle are all in aw so it's great for me because i just need to watch one promotion and everybody i want to see gets brought to me do you watch any wwe at all now um, if, if, if it's on and there's nothing going on, like, you know, if I'm at home on a Friday night and, you know, flipping channels, I might watch a bit of SmackDown, 
but you know, I I I can't get through a full raw. Like three hours is too long, and you know, I think the problem is it's just it feels like a parody of professional wrestling. Like people, you know, putting on a wrestling show. The way I describe it to, to friends of mine is: imagine if you explain to a space alien what pro wrestling is, and then they tried to act it out for you. It's just it feels really disconnected from what it should be, and you know, it's kind of a shame because with the, with the group of talent they have there, it, it should be the best game in town. Like they have so many good wrestlers that they just seem like they have no interest in in doing what they did. You know, in you know, it's it's like if you went to to PWG signed everybody from PWG and said, okay, now whatever you're doing there, stop it. We want you to read scripts. And I don't know, it's just, it's uh, it's a frustrating watch sometimes. It's just, there's something about that product that just, it should be so much better than it is. So hopefully, hopefully they figured out. I think, you know, the, the nice thing about about the way they're doing things is, you know, the, the Big E stuff on, on Raw a couple weeks ago was really fun because, you know, you, it was some. It made the show feel, you know, alive and you know, fresh and you know, dynamic in a way that didn't, you know, really has in months. But the moments like that are so few and far between. Whereas, you know, AEW feels like a show that's fantasy booked, but it's also, you know, funded by a guy who can fantasy book it and bring in guys. I mean, you know, they just they threw Yuji Nagata in randomly with a couple weeks build, and you know you. With AEW, you don't know what you're going to get. With WWE, you know, for for a place that during the Monday Night Wars was sort of the place to watch because you know you had no idea what's going to happen. Like, are are you know, are, is Chris Jericho going to show up? Is are the Radicals going to show up? You know, what what kind of crazy stuff's going to happen? Even even the early days of the invasion, when you know they did not nail the landing, but the early days of the invasion, like I was at that uh, the first. I think the first official invasion show was uh, a Monday Night Raw in Calgary, where you know they had Lance Storm come in uh, through the crowd, right. uh, interfere in a match, and then went out in a limp, you know, jump in a limo with Shane McMahon. It was cool, and you didn't know what to expect. And now, you know, it feels like you can, you know, if you watched a, a Raw at all in the last six months, you can probably ban- you book a Raw off the top of your head that'll be more or less as good or slightly better than what they actually give you. You know, I I love Bobby Lashley, but I don't need to see Bobby Lashley wrestle, you know, Drew McIntyre anymore in my life because I've already seen it 15 times in the last year and a half. So th- things like that, you know, it's hopefully hopefully the AEW being so good can sort of kick them in the butt a bit because you know you know it's I think I think they to a certain extent they really want to seem cool and relevant, but maybe because they're so popular for so long and they're so they're making so much money, they don't really need to try, and that's kind of a scary thought. We come on now to the rapid fire questions, but they're not really rapid fire at all. Uh, I thought when I first devised this podcast, the first set of questions we'd spend a lot of time on and these would be you know, quite quick. But actually, we spend just as much time on these questions. But um, favourite wrestler of all time. Now, is it a safe bet to assume that you're going to say Bret Hart for that? I'd say all time Bret Hart for body of work. But I'm curious... My my number two right now is uh, is Kazuchika Okada, and I'm very curious what happens with Okada over the next few years. Now you know now that he's sort of being able to work a, a lesson schedule. Like you know the nice thing with Brett is Brett ran he did a, a great a good a high standard of work for many many years, and he didn't really have a ton of like really really debilitating injuries, so he's able to do it for so long. And the thing I always liked about Brett is he can work 
a different style of match, which whoever he's doing it, it's not like he has to sort of do the same three or four things in every match. He can sort of, you know, shake things up, you know, and he had so many, you know, all-time classics with so many guys, you know, Mr. Perfect, you know, one of my favorite matches of all time is that 1996 uh, Survivor Series match he had with uh, Steve Austin right after Steve Austin became Stone Cold, where, you know, they sort of do a bunch of back and forth stuff. And then, you know, Brett just reverses the million dollar dream into like a, a bridge pan through, off the corner and wins. And then, you know, they had rematch and rematch after that. But just that was one of my favorite matches to watch just because of the story they're able to tell where Brett can't figure out how to beat, beat Austin and Austin can't figure out how to beat, beat Bret Hart. And then, it was basically who can figure out, you know, uh, a you know a different counter first, and it turns out it was Brett. Uh, things like that. But you know, the thing I really like about Okada is Okada. You know, the, anyone who who wants to really see, you know, amazing wrestling, go to like any G one last four or five years, especially maybe five or six years ago when Okada was, you know, just hitting a Stratus World Champion, and just watch just Okada's matches from night to night because. One of my favorite matches, it's sort of a you know a lesser known match or a, a, not really one that he's known as much for. He did this match, I think in Osaka. I can't remember if it was Osaka. It was during the G1 like five or six years ago, and it was him versus Kojima. And you know the fans, you know Kojima had not won a, a G1 match at that point. He was, I think he was in last place or close to it. But I believe I think the story was it was in either Kojima's hometown or a place where he grew up. He, Kojima had some sort of personal connection to it, so they brought out Kojima and Kojima. Everyone in the crowd loved him. It was like you know uh, the the Beatles in Liverpool when, when Satoshi Kojima came to the ring. And I don't know if it caught anyone off guard, but Okada sort of got a sense that hey, the these guys are you're really into Kojima. Screw it, I'm working heel tonight. And he was just an absolute asshole to Kojima for the entire match. and ended up winning quasi dirty. You know, I think he you know he ducked under something and sort of grabbed the ropes to the tights or something. But it was a fantastic match because. It was just, you know, two guys seeing the, the, what the crowd was doing and said, okay, we're going to just do whatever match the crowd wants. And it was fantastic. It was like, you know, I think the third third from the top, uh, like the second or third of the five uh, G1 matches in that block that night. But it was fantastic. And, you know, it sort of gave the crowd something a little bit different than they were going to get in the two matches after it. And it was just great. And, you know, I think, you know, when when Okada is healthy and Okada is dialed in and sort of in a program as someone who's who's any good, I don't know if there's anyone in the world right now as good as Okada is at pro wrestling. And that even includes, you know, guys who I really like, like you know, Brian Danielson's amazing, Omega's amazing. And, but, you know, I think at this point, you know, Okada's going to be the best in the world until someone develops a body of work that shows that they're better than him. Do you think we could get Omega, Okada... Five would it be? They've had four matches prior to potentially a fifth one, I think. Um, do you think we could get that in AEW one day? I hope so. I, I think what, what I, th- I think the, I think the matches I really want to see from uh, the, the hidden door opening, so to speak. I really want to see Brian Danielson versus Okada. I really want to see Omega versus Okada again. And I just realized now I really want to see Kota Ibushi versus Omega and Danielson too. <laughs> so. I don't know what they need to do to do it, but you know, I think the cool thing is once International Travel League opens up, maybe you do a match in the Tokyo Dome with those guys. Maybe you do a match in a stadium in Florida or the states with those guys. Like, I think you can. Be, you know, the cool thing is if Tony Khan's willing to sort of get creative, and you know, it seems like he is so far. You can basically just pick and choose some matches and spread them out between the two promotions, and you can just have an absolute ball of it because. 
you know, both promotions have a good reputation for delivering good, clean, decisive finishes in their big matches. And I think it would just be a matter of figuring out who wins where, right? I'd also throw, I think, CM Punk versus Kenta out there as well as a match I'd love to see. That would be fun. That would be fun. And I, <laughs> and I think it would be one of those matches where they could do a lot of fun, you know, winks to the audience with it because just the idea, like, you know, I mean, Kenta is not the Kenta that he was, no, no, you know, when everyone saw his matches with Brian Danielson in Ring of Honor. You know, I think, you know, the, the road has owned him a little bit, and he, you know he sort of paid the price for the style he had. But I think you know you give them you give them some time and some the ability to get creative with what they want to do, and I think that could be fantastic. Favorite match of all time? You've already mentioned a few there of your favorites, but uh, what would be the absolute number one for you? At this point, I'd have to say the 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 fourth Omega Okada match, the uh, the the two out of three falls match, because like you know. I, I stayed up till three thirty, or probably four thirty-five in the morning. Like I was, I as, as the after the show ended, I went for a walk just to calm down because it was such a fun show, and the sun was still was just barely coming up. And I remember just you know a match that sort of built on so many little things that they put in other matches and so many little echoes. And you know even you know in the third fall, like the moments where you know I think there was one moment where. You know, it hit me. Holy crap! This is a historic match when uh, o- Okada did a rainmaker to Omega. But Okada was so physically spent from everything up to that point that he basically, you know, went for the clothesline and then just crumpled on contact. And they also they did another one where he was, you know, he was going to go for uh, some Omega was he was going to go for something in Omega and Omega just dropped like a tree before he even had a chance to make contact. Like it was, there's so many fun little moments in that match. And by the end of it, you know, I think I was, A, I needed a shower because I'm jumping up and down so much. But I also immediately want to see another one of those. So uh, Omega Okada is probably right now my my number one. Uh, If I had to say number two, I'd probably point to, I'd say Brett and uh, and Steve Austin in 96 in the Survivor Series. But, you know, there's there's so many. Like, the, the thing that, like, with, you know, recently, we're living in the land of plenty. Like, there's, you know, there's so many matches these days that are you know so good and so easy to get to that it's just such a fun time to be a pro wrestling fan because no matter what kind of wrestling you're into you can find so many cool examples of great stuff going on and you don't really really need to leave your own couch half the time it's interesting you pick the uh, the austin match at survivor series because of course a lot of people would choose the wrestlemania 13 match and i think in some respects maybe that's because of the significance of that match and what it meant for the business going forward. But I I probably agree with you. I think the Survivor Series 96 match was probably the better match of the two. I think they're both good in different ways, though. I mean, it's... I, I think the, 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 the WrestleMania match accomplished what it needed to do because, you know, with trying to do the double turn, you basically have to have Brett crossing lines that he wouldn't cross as much in earlier matches. And so just being an absolute asshole to him. Whereas, you know, in 96, it was, it was you know, Steve Austin was the aggressor pretty much the entire match, and Brett had to rely on, on his, his smarts, his technicality. And, you know, it basically, you know, it was it, it was a really cool character-building match in both senses. But I, I personally, I you know, the the, the blood and the, and the gore in the WrestleMania 13 match take it down a little bit for me, whereas the WrestleMania, the, the, the Survivor Series match, like, it's just such great, pure technical wrestling where it's just you know one guy won because he out wrestled him rather than 
you know, one guy won because, you know, the other guy passed out because he was losing too much blood. I mean, they're both great stories, but I prefer the, the, the 96 one. What's the best show you ever attended live? Ooh. So, NXT TakeOver in Dallas in, I forget what year it was. It was the, whatever, the, whatever um, year WrestleMania 30 was. Uh, man, like, like I, I, I miss the old takeovers back when they were, you know, they, they, they used to be so tight. They had five match shows, and you were in and out in two and a half hours. So, if you're watching on TV, it was great because you, you didn't get a chance to get tired of the show. And if you were there live, like, I've never been to a show in, like, the, it was a smaller venue in Dallas, and the crowd was just absolutely white hot the entire time. It helps it was WrestleMania weekend. But, I mean, you know, this, I think the second or third match, I think that the opening match was the, uh, uh, I believe it was uh, the Revival against uh, American Alpha, uh, right. Jason yeah. Jordan and Chad Gable. And the second match, I think, was uh, Baron Corbin and Austin Aries, which was a perfectly fine match. Like, there was nothing wrong with it. It was... It was there to bring the crowd down a bit after the tag after the tag title change. But then, and then but then you had Nakamura and uh, Sami Zayn. <laughs> yeah, the, the yeah. last three matches, like Nakamura, Sami Zayn was white hot. Uh, everyone, everyone, everywhere loves Bailey, whether she's a, a, a oh, heel or a babyface. Yeah. And Asuka was basically built up as a killer at that point. And to be honest, she still is. They've done a really good job not taking the shine off her character. But you have, you know, in that show, five matches. Balor Joe is really good. The 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 blood the blood and the the refs having to stop it to sort of make sure that Joe wasn't dying was a little bit of a downer. So it wasn't quite as good as it could be. But you know, there, none of, like the longest match is twenty minutes. The shortest match was ten minutes. Every pretty much every match was fifteen minutes. And you know, you, you, they got in, established the story they're telling, did a great job of telling their story, and then got out. And every part of it was fantastic. And I think you know, it's one of those shows that you know. That that's kind of you know what I miss about old the old uh, the major pay per view weekends that WWE used to do because even if you were sort of kind of cold or mediocre on their product or lukewarm on their product rather you could watch a takeover and come out of it going oh damn I don't watch I want to watch more wrestling and then granted then you, the next day you have to watch like a nine hour WrestleMania and then you regret your decisions all over again but you know for for big show weekends I don't understand why they stopped doing takeovers you know touring because if they if they could cut their main shows down to 3 hours or three, four and a half hours tops and just get rid of all the fluff you know you could have a 2 hour show the night before to just as be an absolute thing to amp you up and then let you loose on WrestleMania and you know the nice thing was you know I think WrestleMania actually yeah, it was WrestleMania 32 which was just the longest it was weird because I think there's a, a bunch of us from the, the Wrestling Observer site uh, and the, the Fight Game blog uh, Facebook group who were all at uh, at TakeOver Dallas. And I think pretty much all of us <laughs> to this day say it was the best show we've ever been to. I think the folks who were at All In or All Out might say that was you know that show would be in their in their mix too. But of course, all of us who went to both shows, the uh, the, the TakeOver Dallas and then the, the WrestleMania, I think everyone regrets going to WrestleMania <laughs> because it's like having this delicious, you know, small meal and then sitting through a three-course meal that's not nearly as good. And you're just thinking the whole time, oh, man, yesterday's show was so good. Why am I still at this one? Yeah, I, I definitely feel the takeovers stand out more. From, from the people that go to WrestleMania weekends, the takeovers definitely stand out more. Because I don't remember 
I mean, obviously you were there, so you've got a different perspective. But if I look at WrestleMania 32, if you ask me what the main event was, I probably couldn't tell you. I mean, I could tell you what WrestleMania 12 was. That was obviously Bret and Sean and Iron Man match. But WrestleMania 32, which is only like five years ago, not a clue. Not a clue. I think maybe it may have been Roman oh, Triple H, if I had to guess, but... Yeah, oh yeah, it was in the, that match, it, was, it felt like it was nine years long because, like, nobody, nobody wanted to watch that. Like, it's a, a main event that no one really wanted with a guy that no one really cared about. Like, they hadn't really done anything to really explain why we should care about Roman Reigns. Like, they've done a fantastic job the last couple of years with him. Like, his heel run's been probably some of the best character work anyone's done in wrestling in the last five or ten years. But, you know, it's very much that they've dug themselves a big hole with it. But, like, I don't know, just that show, like, but, uh, oh, God, that was the one where Zack Ryder won the friggin' title and the, the, the IC title in the opener, and then it was all downhill from there. I mean, uh, a 30-minute Undertaker-Shane McMahon cell match for some reason. Uh the, uh, the women's triple threat match, uh, Charlotte, Becky, and Sasha was really good. Uh, you had Brock Lesnar wrestling a 15-minute street fight where he did nothing because he was about to leave to go train to do WW or to do, go to a UFC show. Uh, the League of Nations versus the uh, the New Day for some reason because God knows we all need the League of Nations. Like the best the best thing on the show outside of uh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, the best thing on the show is basically uh, fifth the fifth match Jericho versus AJ Styles, which is fun. And then the women's three the three way, and then you still had to sit through an hour and a half of stuff to get to the end of the show after the emotional peak. So, but whereas you know AW or the uh, the NXT show the night before, in and out in two and cha- two hours and change, and you saw nothing but good stuff and everything that like even you know I don't, I'm not a huge Baron Corbin guy. But Baron Corbin's match made sense, and he was in and out in ten minutes. So you know, by the time you're by the time you're able to form an opinion about Baron Corbin, the match was over. Whereas, you know, everything else, they're like, oh, let's just do a thirty minute match. Why not? Well, the reason is it you don't have thirty minutes of story to tell. So <laughs> stop it. Was that the only WrestleMania you have been to? Have you have you been to another one? Uh I've been to three. I was at twenty nine in in New York. 30 in in, in uh, the uh, the Silver Gnome, and then 32 in Dallas. So I saw Daniel, I saw Brian Danielson win the title. I saw CM Punk versus The Undertaker, uh, and then yeah, I think I think the reason I don't like 32 as much was that it was just there's no one match that you're like, holy cow, did you see this match? Whereas you know those other ones like you had the the you know I thought the the 30 in, in New Orleans told a fantastic story and, you know, they did a great job sort of, you know, with uh, the book ending the show, sort of WrestleMania 10 style with, you know, you know, uh, the two Brian Danielson matches to really, you know, give you something to pay attention to. And then, you know, the, you know, 29 was a fun show. Like, even though like rock versus, you know, Cena didn't really deliver in the ring, you know, few, you know, it was, a, it was meant to be a spectacle, you know, just to be like, holy crap, holy cow, you know, the Rock's still in a main event. Can he Can he go? And, and he got hurt in the match, but it was still it was still entertaining. And they had a bunch of good stuff on that show. It was just, you know, 32, just there's no reason to have a show that's like seven hours long. Like, I, I, I remember in 2000 when they did WrestleMania 16 and, you know, the, the, they did, uh, I think at that point, WrestleMania was three hours long or three and a half hours in Anaheim. But the you could pay. I think they had a pay per view thing where uh, this is pre network where you could pay like twenty bucks or forty bucks or whatever the hell it was. I forget what it was. 
but their tagline was WrestleMania all day long because you know they they did sort of documentary style packaging of all the previous WrestleManias. So at that point, they only had 15 prior WrestleManias. So if you were like you know oh man let's let's you know get your buddies together and just spend the day before the actual show, you know marathoning all the WrestleManias, it was an option for you. Uh, and now it feels like WrestleMania all day long, instead of being something that they tantalize you with, is something they punish you with. Like it feels like a threat now, rather than you know something they're they're dangling towards you to get you excited. So, I mean, hopefully, hopefully they stick. I I think the rumor is next year that they're splitting into two days. Uh, I think that'd be like the second or third day year they've done this in a row. They did it in Tampa this year, and it was actually pretty good because. You know, you had two four-hour shows instead of one eight-hour show. They did the year before in uh, when they had to do the the, uh, the closed doors WrestleMania. Yeah, like I think you know if they if they're gonna, if they insist on having seventeen thousand matches on the show, splitting into two days at least allows you to not get completely burnt out on it. Like you can you could do other things with your life and then watch a WrestleMania for three hours and be content with your life. But if you're if by the end of a you know wrestling show you're thinking, what am I doing? Why is this so long? Like, you know, by the end of Roman Reigns versus Triple H, a 27-minute match, you know, there were people seriously questioning their life choices. Like, it was just, it was too long, too long a night, too long a show. People, it was a WrestleMania so long that, you know, my friends and I in our section, we were sampling some of the various uh, alcoholic beverages that offer at uh, at t Stadium, which is a beautiful facility. So you go there and you get a bunch of nachos when the show starts and you fill up on beer and you're all rowdy and you're all excited to go and you're like, yay, wrestling. By the time, the the by the time you know, you're two-thirds of the way through the, the six-hour show, you're sobering up. And if a wrestling show is long enough, you can get drunk as hell and then sober up during the show. It's too long. No, absolutely. I've had uh, several people who went to WrestleMania 30 on the podcast now, so I'd, I'd have to ask you for your perspective on the streak ending, because I think it was, I want to say it was Damien, uh, Damien Gonzalez, who came on and said that he witnessed people actually leaving the building when the streak ended. Did you, did you see any of that go on? Well, I mean, you know, if you didn't care about Brian Danielson winning the world title or challenging the world title, that was sort of the emotional climax of the show. And then, you know, if you're sad about the undertaker losing, you can go get drunk in new Orleans. So, I mean, if you're going to leave a show early, it better be in new Orleans or New York city. Those are the two shows that you're like, okay, you know, maybe I'll go get hammered instead. But I, I think that the crowd was very confused. Like in our section, we're like, pretty much everyone's looking around going, Oh crap. Did he lose? Is this, is the match over? And the entire building is basically, until they play Brock's music, everyone's like, wait, did someone screw up? What the hell is happening? So, you know, I think the the, the confusion basically cascaded through the building. And then, you know, it doesn't help that it wasn't a very good match. Like, it was, you know, it was a match where they didn't really click. And, you know, there, there's been plenty of WrestleMania matches where there's sort of false finishes where everyone's like, oh, no, did he lose? Oh, wait, never mind, he's good. Like, the, the CM Punk one's a good example where, you know, CM Punk got like two or three almost wins like there was one where he reversed the tombstone into his own tombstone it's fantastic amazing near fall but the entire crowd is like oh crap did he win oh good thank god he did thank god thank god the undertaker's still still going here but there wasn't really that kind of a moment in that brock lesnar match so i think people were still a little bit confused and going oh god it, it finished it's over so yeah it, it I saw some people leaving too, not too many, but yeah, it's it was just a very, it felt like an anti-climax. Like it felt like they didn't, it felt like someone had screwed up and made a mistake rather than something monumental. 
And you know, I'm not like, I'm not sure if Brock was the right guy to do it. Like you know, did Brock really need that to be a bigger bad guy? I mean, I, I don't know. But if if they had to do it then, I guess they had to do it then. But it just seems like they could have gotten more out of it. No, absolutely. Um, I think um, you know Brian Danielson winning the title in the main event was probably the only. Th- well, I wouldn't say it's the only thing that could have saved it, but could you just imagine? They witness a streak ending, and then the main event is Batista and Randy Orton. They had to put Daniel Bryan in that match because, you know, Batista and Randy Orton, that would not have gone over well. Or maybe that was sort of some of the decision-making. Maybe the idea is they're like, okay, well, we're giving Danielson the title, so the fans won't really care that the streak's ending. Like, they'll be mad, but 20 minutes after that, they'll be really excited, so who cares, right? I mean... I guess. I mean, you know, Danielson winning the title is a fantastic moment, but you know, it was still part of a, you know, a very weird WrestleMania, like a very up and down WrestleMania. But I don't know, it was it was a fun show overall. They did a good job with it. And, you know, the outside of being very terrifying to get in and out of, you know, the this this you know, the Superdome's a really cool building. So, you know, it was fun. The final question I ask everyone is uh if you could change one thing about the wrestling business what would it be so is there is there one thing that you would change if you could if i if i could do anything i wanted i would cut down monday night raw to two hours (laughs) there's no reason to be three hours like you know it's i think the problem is like fans get burnt out on it it feels like the the writers or whoever's producing the product is burnt out. And like no no show should feel like a chore to get through. So I think you know the best thing. Like I you know I understand the economics of it. Like they're getting paid a, you know a metric crap ton of money to do a three hour show. All power to them. But you know if I fire them just for the long term sustainability of their business, just just you know just. Be a bit more sustainable with what you're doing. Do some less is more because you know you, you cut you cut out some of that. Then there's less rematches and there's less rep- repetitiveness in your product. And then you know you have less people like me and you going on podcasts going, man, remember when WWE was good? So if yeah, if I had a magic wand, just two hour Raws. Two hour Raws be perfect. Well, I've you always found evening. You can do other things with your evening around a two hour Raw. If it's a three hour Raw, it has to be your whole night and. I'm not at the point in my life where I want to have a plan of my whole night, my whole Monday night after a long day of work around Monday Night Raw. Well, I've always felt that an hour is is perfect. If you look at Rampage, as an hour of entertainment, you know, it goes by in the blink of an eye. Everything's good. I think an hour, I think maybe an hour perhaps is maybe a little bit too short. So something like 90 minutes is probably perfect because... How often do you watch Dynamite? And, and Dynamite's normally pretty good all the way through, but sometimes the first hour can be better than the second hour, or the other way around. But I think if you have like 90 minutes of action, that is probably about well, there, perfect. There was a stretch, I think like three or four years ago, I can't remember the exact who, who was on the shows every week, but Ramp on Wrestling, the syndicated show on Sinclair, hour long. Yeah. It's perfect. It's 40 minutes. Once you pass, if you PVR it and you skip through commercials... It's 40 minutes and there's no filler because it's 40 minutes. They can't have afford to have filler. So if you're just, if you're just like, well, what's I got I got 40 minutes to kill like you know say you know the, you, you know 
your the girlfriend's gone gone to gone, uh, to meet her friends or you know someone you know you got you're home alone you got nothing to do time to kill you know maybe 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 it's you know you're you're working from home during a pandemic and you have a lunch hour to kill throw on some wrestling on the PBR and a Ring of Honor show you can get through in less of a lunch hour you can get some food you can watch shows and skip the commercials it was perfect it was just. 40 minutes of good, good stuff. It's, you know, I've seen their more recent shows, and they're still pretty good. It's not quite as good as it used to be, because I think they sort of lost some guys that were, were probably better, you know, for them. And, you know, I think the their shows without crowds haven't really been as good. But, yeah, like, I think, you know, one- and two-hour wrestling shows are perfect. Like, I agree with you. Rampage, you know, by the time by the time you're starting to wonder when the show is over, it's over. Like, you're, you're in and out. Like, three matches. It's so easy. Like they, they need to. I think getting back to less is more, and trying and remembering that the folks you're trying to, you know, charge money and time to follow your product. We all got lives, and if you make the product easy to follow and make it not seem like a chore or something that you have to do rather than something you want to do, it's so much easier to be excited about the show. It's like, you know, hell, like you know, even even like this week, like I think we we're recording this before the uh, the the Grand Slam show AEW is doing, and this is the time where AEW is like, you know what? It's a special occasion. Screw, it. we're doing a two-hour rampage. Cool. If they end up doing two-hour rampages all the time, I'm going to stop watching the show because that's just too much wrestling. But, you know, one special week where they're going to have 20,000 people in the show and they want to make it a special occasion, they can they can squeeze me for another hour and I won't really complain that much. But, you know, most of the time, it's an hour. It's an hour, you know, uh, rampage is quick. Dynamite's usually quick. You know, their pay-per-views are generally fairly quick. They, they haven't – they've resisted the urge to go for four hours. And so – you know, it, it's it's easy not to get tired of what they're doing. So yeah, shorter shows. That's that that be what I do, especially Monday Night Raw. Yeah, because as you say, as we record this, we're right on the uh, well. Tomorrow night is uh, Dynamite from uh, Arthur Ashe Stadium, and then you've got Rampage on Friday nights. So you've got both two-hour shows. You know, eleven matches I think altogether. I think there's going to be five tomorrow night and six more on on Friday night. And, and it's a really, I mean, of, of these matches, I think probably obviously Danielson and Omega is the one that stands out the most. But what are you particularly looking forward to from these shows? Well, I mean, I think the cool thing is just the idea of, you know, we're, you know, if you're if you're a casual wrestling fan, you get to see Kenny Omega versus Brian Danielson for free, and it's not even just. Like, I know the the common refrain from from uh, Brian Alvarez and Vinny Verhey is for free with no build. But it's a non-title match, which means it's part of a build for a future title match, inevitably. But the idea of, you know, they've done two or three weeks of build for this match, which is itself built for something else. So we know it's not going to be the, the, the end point, but we know we're going to get a good match. It's going to be a long match. Like, it's a two-hour show, and they've only scheduled five matches. And traditionally, traditionally, if you're timing out a wrestling show, like, a traditional hour-long rampage is three long matches in an hour. So if you're getting five matches over two hours, that means one of them is going pretty long. So Omega Danielson, like I'd be shocked if it doesn't go two seconds at least. Like that's probably half. That's probably half of an hour itself with the entrances and all and all the ballyhoo. Uh, you know, Ruby Soho gets a title shot. You know, Sting is wrestling. Like it's there's every every match that they put, especially on Dynamite, sounds like something that you could you know you could sell the show. Like it, it, conceivably. Brian Pullman Jr. versus MJF probably couldn't be a main event. Like that's that feels like maybe a rampage main event. But the other four matches on on Dynamite alone could all be main events. Uh, even if you look at the uh, the stuff they have going on on Rampage, I mean, you know, 
the the women's match Anna J. Penelope Ford probably couldn't be a main event, but you know they they've main evented uh, you know CM Punk versus Powerhouse Hobbs could be a main event, you know Jericho and Hager versus Sky and Page. I mean they've main evented Dynamite before with Scorpio Sky and Ethan Page, so that could be conceivably a main event. Uh, you know Adam Cole and the Young Bucks and the Six Man against you know Christian Cage and Jurassic Express that could be a main event. So they they pack these shows full of main event caliber matches without really repeating matches or doing rematches or, or you know, cramming things together. Like, Malachi Black and Cody Rhodes is a rematch, but pretty much everything else is brand new. And that's, that's kind of exciting. Like, they've, they've managed to do a bunch of interesting stuff so much that you can reasonably expect not to get the, the rug pulled out from under you as a fan. So, I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna find, I have to find ways to curve out time to watch these shows because, you know, they, they both seem like they're going to be really fun. Final question then. How do you? I mean, what do you do with Omega Danielson? I mean, a, a lot of people think maybe a draw, um, or maybe Danielson wins because it's not for the title. But do you really want to do that when Omega just lost to Christian? It's kind of a difficult one to know. I'm probably leaning towards a draw myself. But um, what, what do you think will happen? I, I I think they did a nice job, sort of with their long-term storytelling with the stuff they did with the Young Bucks and the tag division. And I hope they do – I can imagine that they could be doing something similar with, with Omega and Danielson. Like, you know, they have enough dudes, you know, enough, uh, you know, people surrounding, uh, you know, the, the world champion that you can conceivably do sort of a wonky finish. Like, have, have Danielson – like, do a long match, have Danielson almost win – and then have him lose, but have him lose in a way that saves space. Like, you know, oh, no, here's the Good Brothers. No, no, here's the Young Bucks. No, no, here's, you know, you know, Kenny Omega's army of idiots. And then you basically set up the chase of, okay, well, Danielson has to do – oh, no, Dan, Brian Danielson has to do matches with Adam Cole and, you know, the, the Young Bucks and, these, and everyone else to get back to Omega and maybe get a, another crack at Omega when there's like a cage or a ladder or some some kind of a thing sort of even the playing field. Or, you know, maybe they do a match where, you know, you could you could build to some sort of, you know, a multi-man tag or something. I think there's a lot of things they could do with it. I, and, you know, they have a good enough track record that I trust that they can tell an interesting story without taking a lot of shortcuts. So I don't know. I'm, I, I, I have no idea exactly how they booked their way out of it. But, you know, I agree with you. I don't think Omega should lose. So I think Danielson probably loses. But I'm curious how they pull it off because it's gonna be it's gonna be a really interesting show. Definitely, I, th- I think Danielson. Obviously, people think well, Danielson shouldn't be in the main event mix right away because that's not normally what they would do. They because they want to sort of make these rankings mean something, so you don't sort of thrust someone straight into the main event scene right off the bat. But if he comes in and beats Omega in a non-title match, that's one way of sort of saying, well, now he's in the main event picture. He's got to win over Omega. That's one way of doing it, I suppose. And then they can have a match at the next pay per view, which uh, would be what full gear. I think so. Yeah, the the one in November in um, I think it's in Minnesota now. Yeah, because they moved it because of it clashes with the UFC show, and there's also like a big boxing show that night as well, isn't there? I think. I think so. I think so. But yeah, um, no, I'm 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 very curious. Like the nice thing is they they've done such a good job sort of booking around like they booked around a pandemic they booked around like not having a lot of their the regulars in they booked around not really having access to anyone international for a while that you know it's, I 
you know, at, at this point, it feels it feels like we're watching magician do tricks, and we know that he's doing tricks, but he's so good at doing tricks that we we're just not consciously aware that he's doing them anymore, and we're just allowing ourselves to enjoy the show. And for something that we know is like this is fake. It's you know, it's it's predetermined. It's a show. It's it's all acting. It's you know, it's everything that pro wrestling can be. They've done such a good job making it all the good things pro wrestling can be. Ryan, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, and. Uh... Like I said to every guest, it seems. Um, obviously, this podcast, I'm going to run out of guests at some point, um, so I'll have to think of something else to do, and uh, whatever I plan to do next, I would love to have you back on at some point. Yeah, it was a great time, man. I'm definitely looking forward to talking again. Okay, so for Ryan, I'm David signing off, and thank you for listening to another episode of the How I Caught the Wrestling Bug podcast.